is Hades one of the greatest games of all time? No. There it is. Okay, now it's ticking. All right, here goes. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the improbable second ever episode of the Greatest Games of All Time podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm back with my co-host, Brandon. What's up? And we are here to talk about a pretty cool uh, game called Hades. Uh, It's a roguelike that came out uh, in 2020, uh, you know, Q4 2020. Uh, But it's been in early access for like a year, so a lot of people have been playing it, you know, up to this point. But since it just came out officially, version 1.0 for the first time, we want to cover it on the cast. And uh, this is a roguelike video game, and we're going to be using the term roguelike to refer to it throughout. We understand that, uh, according to some people who played, like, the 1980 game Rogue when it came out, or NetHack, or Dungeon Crawl, Stone Soup, or Moria, or any of those games. Um, this game might not be considered a roguelike, but that's how we're going to use the term, because in the modern kind of gaming press, the term roguelike is usually referred to, used to refer to uh, Spelunky likes. Uh, Spelunky and its descendants, so Binding of Isaac, Enter the Gungeon, Dicey Dungeons, uh, Slay the Spire, and so on. And that's definitely a game in this uh, genre, Hades is. So that's the term we're going to use to talk about it uh, on this podcast. And uh, Brandon, I don't know if you... Oh, I should cover the format again. So our format is going to be the same as last time, which is that we've each just chosen some topics that we think are essential to understanding the game. And uh, so we're just going to ping pong back and forth and we'll introduce our topics and go back and forth like that. And then at the end, we'll kind of just have a wrap up discussion to talk about, you know, do we think this is a greatest game of all time, which is the point of this uh, dumb podcast. So, uh, Brandon, uh, do you want I went first last time. Do you want to kick us off this time or I can also go first? Yeah. No, like I'm 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 also remembering too. like I got to stop laughing my stupid nose air <laughs> laugh into the mic because it just it, sounds like garbage yeah uh, it's it's different yeah. talking into the mic for sure <laughs> um no and also like i'll probably say rogue light at some point just to be really confusing because that's a phrase that i've been referring to this as uh-huh. uh, which is like you know roguelike light and so which it is yeah. which it is but yeah. uh, i think roguelike is the generally accepted term by uh, you know, by the other people that, yeah. that aren't that aren't super specific about it. So I'm gonna bastardize the phrase. Is all I'm I'm jumping ahead on. I'm for um, it. So I don't know. So I so I played a, a few of these like because they've been happening like all, like the ones you mentioned, Gungeon and Spelunky or uh, not Spelunky, Slay the Spire and and all of these. And this one like this one hit really hard. Like I was super. Uh, super into it for for quite a while um and one thing that i walked away feeling about it was that 
there was something that it captured that evoked that feeling of like this game should be an arcade box like this is a game mm. that would fit perfectly in the arcade scenario of like even just like in terms of the hype around it like people's excitement for it uh you know spectators watching or just just the the, the game style itself of you mm-hmm. know uh, arcades being quarter consumers like that the game would have lended very well to that and i thought i thought it did really well in that regard like you know fast-paced intense action uh keeps you coming back and just kind of destroys you um yeah yeah it, i think so yeah it, it just yeah it felt really good in that way and um so i could i could already right there like i could see it kind of gaining a notoriety that extends you know beyond its actual shelf life mm-hmm. um so that was yeah yeah it feels like the kind of game where you because the the action of the game is you know borderline like garish i want to say because there's so much stuff going on screen going on on screen and uh it's like your enemies attacks have they all you know make little like explosions or like graphical effects and then your attacks have those effects and they're kind of stacking on top of each other and uh you know it's it's kind of like a game where you know there's so much so many like lighting and particle effects happening and it's a game where you could walk up and see someone else playing it and then like just put your quarter in and jump in too you know yeah. like an old like an old beat em up like a streets of rage or something like that has that effect too uh, totally. yeah so i could totally see what you're saying yeah and and kind of on the, like you talk about streets of rage that makes me think of combat too like the combat was just really fun as well right where it's like explosive yeah like you already said like it's it's explosive and shiny and just kind of in your face um and overwhelming in a way that's satisfying to 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 learn and to get better at Mm -hmm. um it feels like you're just barely in control of what's going on you know totally yeah and uh, yeah as you get better at it too it was like you're constantly retraining and pushing that boundary right so first mm-hmm. you're overwhelmed and you know you get killed and that's the the kind of gift of a roguelike um is that it's just going to destroy you but then you become more proficient and you can make it farther until the next point at which it just it beats you back down and it 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 did it in such a way that was like very inviting and like enticing to you know it, it very much had that one more one more round feel to it um, yeah and I think to the game's credit, part of the reason it's that way is because you all you always know why you died and it's always your fault, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they they did it's very finely tuned in the sense that the chaos of the action on screen, it's all very intentional and uh, the action is kind of obscured sometimes in a way because there's so many like explosions and like you get the dash effect where you shoot out water in like a circle all around you and so stuff like that's happening and uh so there's a a great sense of chaos um that uh just makes it feel so frenetic it's really nice it is and something you said just there was like i had this realization too this week is the game is very good at letting letting your death be your fault right like 
it never it it never feels cheap you know where something mm-hmm. is like oh that was it's way too hard or, or i mean like there are really hard parts but it never felt like the game was cheating um and it's like it it creates a space it creates these environments for you to fuck up in mm-hmm. like this is your like you can go be a badass or you can totally forget there's a trap right here and just fucking step on it and lose 30 health and you know derail your whole progress i stepped um, on the trap so much <laughs> so many times is especially the like the second level the lava area i stepped oh, on the yeah. lava so much in that area yeah the yeah the environments are very finely tuned where it's just so so good i want to um if i can unpack a little bit more about why the action is so good yeah for sure I, I think there's a few things going on. Um, one is that, you know, it's like I find it unavoidable to compare this game to the kind of action games of yore, like Contra or uh, Gunstar Heroes or those kinds of games with the really frenetic action. Um, and this game gets to that in, in a different way. It's so, so fast. It's fast in the way that those games are. And I think it's faster than its peers, too. It's much faster than Binding of Isaac. It's faster than Into the Gungeon. Uh, I think some of the things that are contributing to that are the true analog movement, which is in Gungeon, too, but this game does other different things. It's you know the being able to point your dude any direction exactly mm-hmm. that you want to put him. Um, I think it's the isometric perspective, which this team super giant seems to use in most of their games. Um, but that extends the player's movement space to the entire screen. So if you think about like a Contra or something like that, you have mainly horizontal movement and then like a limited jump that gets you some vertical movement, but it's pretty limited. Uh, and then there's the, the dash mechanic, which um, pushes you, 10% of the way across the screen or so and makes you invulnerable. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think, is where the fluidity is coming from, at least for me. And up to this point, based on what I've said, I think it sounds a lot like Hyper Light Drifter. Yeah. Which which is the greatest game of all time, uh, just as a side note. But, <laughs> uh, but it does some other different things on top of that. The, it being a roguelike, the procedural generation of enemies and rooms means that you're constantly reacting to new stuff, which keeps you even more on your toes. It's different than Hyperlight, obviously, where the encounters are scripted. And then there's a huge graphical effects that we're talking about. So the overall effect is like you're just careening around the screen, dodging explosions like, oh, I hit this dude three times, but he didn't die. So now I got to jump over here and someone's shooting a projectile at me. So I got to jump out of the way. And all my dashes are creating this like giant saw of death that spins around behind me and is sucking enemies in. And now I'm dodging this way. It's just so, so nice. So I think that's the core of this game. That's the, the hardcore action game is like the kernel. And it's, it's really outstanding. Yeah, they really, like, the freedom of movement they give you, while also, like, each room, it, they're not very big. Like, you're in little mm-hmm. arenas, um, but you still have, you know, some of them are big enough that there's a good a bit of scrolling when you move around. 
Um, but even then, they're not very large when you consider at that, you know, at, at those points too, you have multiple dashes or whatever to move around. Um, but yeah, just the the space they give you to move and make mistakes or be cunning, right? And and, and have somewhat of a plan once you know, you know, because like like you said, it's it's never the same thing twice. You have that procedural aspect to it, but there are enemy types and and you have your like environment types with the different uh um not arenas but uh environments whatever um you know elysium and and uh i'm blanking on the rest but point being like you you get enough of a framework that you can operate within it um and then Mm -hmm. it's still through the procedural generation or even through multiple playthroughs they tweak some of the things enough that it keeps it fresh and so it just feels it just feels really good and like yeah, I think there is something to the isometric um, field of view where, mm-hmm. you know, it, it even harkens, you know, just like the kind of hack and slash games, you know, Diablo kind mm-hmm. of feel, all this stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah the, just with a fresh filter, yeah. I know um, I was on the Supergiant website and I was looking at some of the developer profiles and the, I know one of the leads on the game is this guy, Amir Rao, mm-hmm. and uh, he lists... Diablo 2 as being one of his favorite games of all time and it made me I mean Diablo is like you know like a much slower mm-hmm. paced game and there's not that much action at least in the sense that we're talking about here but I like to think of him as you know taking that experience with him and being like oh look at all this movement space I have I wonder what I could do with this in like an action game type yeah. of framework yeah, just it. Yeah, it's it's the Diablo field just ratcheted up, you know. With, uh, I mean, I think that really is the, the core of it, just that movement speed, that just the way that you can traverse the space. Yeah, and then that allows you to then pile enemies in, and, and the rest kind of you know gets legs on its own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, another first, just you know, just because it was a, a a first impression that I just want to call out because I, I partly I just I don't want to forget for myself, but graphically i mean you talk about like hyperlight drifter these other games which um like you know hyperlight is dear to me for sure um but i think you made the comment of how refreshing it was not to have pixel art and to actually have like these gorgeous environments and i remember first playing it and just being like wow this looks amazing uh but i couldn't quite tell what was going on you know it's kind of like my eyes weren't adjusted to the beauty of it yeah um and it it even took me just a second to you know is this is this is this 2d are these sprites is this 3d like what am i seeing yeah and they balance the it you know it's to use the word cell shading feels like a disservice because you think of cell shading as those hard black lines Uh of the original kind of style um but this is so refined in a way that's like it has a comic book action feel. It does, yeah. It looks but, like a comic book. Yeah, I but, so too. But but fluid, you know. Like uh, I think, you know, games like Beautiful Joe, mm-hmm. you know, they really took that comic book feel and, and leaned on it in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this did it in a different way, where it's kind of like they realized the comic book and they didn't have to do any of the, you know, kind of um, box animation or you know the 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 cutout of the words. Um, it had, I it had like an Okami vibe for me in a way, just because I feel like you can almost see the ink, the black. Ink. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know? It, yeah, just the, the fluidity of it just worked in a great way. Like I thought uh, is worth highlighting because it's it really is stellar looking. Um, yeah, the the I know the art director on the game. Her name is uh, Gen Z, and uh, she the game it just looks so good. Like the character portraits. I just got a 4K TV <laughs> uh, for the first time. Welcome. And it, it was yeah, thank you. Feels good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, I I think I had like a 720p LCD, like 32 inch TV before that. And this is a much bigger, like nice TV. It's a big and, jump, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. And I remember seeing the portrait of the Knicks character for mm-hmm. the first time and being like, oh man, that looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that it had that kind of, shock value which may have been from my tv but i remember thinking like i can't believe like small teams are doing something that looks this sophisticated you know totally and i I, like i also after playing this i'd gone back so i played sebastian earlier on but i didn't play any of their the intermediary games that they developed um although i've gone back and, and played them since but um you know on one hand i can see how they are refining and reusing a lot of their techniques and and style and you know probably parts of their engines or, or uh, learnings from other engines. Someone said on uh, someone said on Reddit that they have their own custom C engine. I don't know what that means, but I know that most you would expect this to be done in Unity, right? Yeah, it, uh, was it not done in Unity? Not that I th- I think it wasn't. Um, oh no, sorry. I'm I'm totally. So I've been on the side. Don't tell Hades. I've been side piecing with um, uh, Spirit Fair, which was okay. Unity. So I, I keep seeing the Unity splash screen in my mind. But yeah, so uh, so they have their own custom C engine, um, which that totally makes it, sense. Yeah, because yeah. all their games like look the same. You know, like the the perspective and uh, it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're obviously. The game design is very different for each of them, but it just feels just like this really cool little thing of like a little team. I mean, it's big as far as an indie team goes, but um, this little team like sort of honing their own style and what they want to do. And it seems like a lot of the employees are long tenured and, you know, they got their own way of doing things, their own sort of approach to art and uh, they just keep refining, and this game is kind of the culmination of that up to this point. Very nice little, cool, good-looking, fast, hardcore action game. Very good game. Totally. Can we talk about the story a little bit? Because it seems like that is uh, one of the main... One of the things that's getting the most attention in the press about this game. And I I just want to like lay out the fundamentals of the story for a sec here. What we have are supernatural beings, right? They have big time God powers, but they are nevertheless subject to these like human foibles. You know, they have like swells of emotion. They get, they feel rage, they get jealous, things like that. And this brings them into conflict with one another, but because they have the big time God abilities you know they have these conflicts and then the effects are disproportionately large compared with 
the nature of the conflict, which in this case is like a dad and a son getting mad because the son is like getting old and he wants to move out of his house, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then his dad doesn't want that and so they get in an argument about it. And then, but because they're gods, it leads to the son like fighting the legions of hell (laughs) on on the way out of his dad's place. So that's kind of the core premise, right? And then what else can we notice about this? I notice everyone is hot in the game, right? All the men are jacked except for the musician character the male musician character yeah uh the main character is a sexy dashing british gent who always has something cool to say you know he always has like a witty remark and who always has really great hair right and so when i look at this i'm like this is a maybe low b to high c tier netflix show this is like or like amazon prime or something like that (laughs) oh sick burn (laughs) and again like i've i've seen every episode of the uh formerly wb now cw series supernatural Uh except for the uh episode where one of the main characters gets turned into a dog but so I skipped that one shitty episode. But I've seen every other episode. <laughs> so you're not a, you're not above you're not above some some garbage TV is what you're saying. No, dude, and yeah. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. I will watch a B tier yeah. like fantasy oh, Netflix they show. They have a special place. They have a they have a special purpose, right? Like right. Yeah. Yeah. So Supernatural is one of these types of shows. It's it's very much a thing right now. This kind of show where it's like yeah, mad the main characters have magic or they're gods or something, but they get in fights and stuff like normal humans do. Um, there's that show American gods, which it was a book that came out in like 2001, but it's no coincidence that it was just recently adapted into a TV show. Cause it's so, it's kind of like a zeitgeist thing right now. I feel like, I think the Thor films are kind of like this. So it's, I like this stuff. Even as I know, I'm like, I feel it's like, it's not low brow, but it, it's not like aiming very high, you know? Yeah. It I just kind of is what it is. It is what it is, right? And it, yeah, it's, it, it is very much like in being that it, it locks it to a point in time, right? Like it, it, it kind of, right? All By doing that, yes. you're limiting yourself like, oh, is this going to be something? Like, is this going to be an eternal story that's told over and over again? It's like, nope. It's yeah. just going to be for this year. Like, yeah. It's, it's just fun right now. Um, I totally felt that. Yeah. It's just, it's a little too of its time, you know? It's, yeah. This is the other example I brought up when we were talking about this before, but it's like the character Zagreus, you can pet the three-headed uh, Cerberus <laughs> dog, right, you right. know? And uh, he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't say he's going to pet the dog. He says he's going to give the dog pets. Mm-hmm. This is something that people only started saying in like the last five years. Or yeah. So. It, it, it grew out of like internet dog obsessed it's, culture. It's, it's doggo and doggo. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's totally um. doggo culture. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it just, instantly like dates the game for me you know and i think there'll be reason to play this game again in 15 years 
because uh, I think the action is mm-hmm. sublime. But you're going to go, oh, yeah, remember when people used to make fiction <laughs> like this? Right. Um, yeah, it, I think you're right. I think it will very much like, uh, you know, you can look at a noir film from the 50s or, you know, just even the accents of reporters coming out of the 40s, right? Like I had a yes. very, you know, uh, stylized sound to it. You'll you'll look back and play this game and you'll be like, yeah, this this feels like 2020. You know, like this is... I remember this point in time. Um, <laughs> and I would I would say, you know, off the bat, like if you had a grading scale, that's, you want to say like greatest game of all time, it's like, well, that's a ding against immediately, right? Or it's like if you're uh, cornering, cornering yourself into a period of time. Um, yes. With, and, you know, who knows, like maybe time goes by and you say like, oh, well, they embodied it well enough that it's a caricature of all of that. Um, uh-huh. But but I don't think that was happening here. I think it was more along the lines of fitting, you know, like they clearly had fun with it. The writing was mm-hmm. fun and smarmy. Um, but yeah, it's kind of as far as it goes, like you're saying, it, I think the way you're classing it with all the, the TV shows or these movies, it, it, it fits perfectly in that space of just, uh, um, it's it's for now, it's for today. And that's, and that's it, it does great at that, but um and maybe people will go back and play it and hear like, oh, I'm going to give the dog pets. And and maybe that'll sound as cool as like the detective dudes talking in <laughs> noir do now. I doubt it. I think it'll be more like, you know, like, you know, like a condo building that was just clearly built in like 2007 or something <laughs> like that. You know how they just like have a, like some really nasty, like rusted metal, yeah. like on the front, or just like a weird, like metal shape that does nothing for the architecture of the building. I think it's going to be more like that. <laughs> yeah, I think, and yeah. I, you know, in a way that's by design, I think that's something, you know, you choose to have a contemporary style, knowing that it's, it's a modern, you know, it's, it's of today's look, and you're going to have to rebuild it in 10 years or it'll look dated, you know, and it's like, I think it's okay to ride that line mm-hmm. um but it does it just kind of it it does limit you and and i'm not you know i'm also not saying that every piece of media ever made should be made with the you know constant beating thought of like this has to last forever um you know pop art is a thing and it has a good mm-hmm. place and so um and to that end i feel like they they did they did honor the kind of spirit of the gods well i mean these you know these stories go all the way back to their inception of being mischievous and having these emotions mm-hmm. um and so they put a great modern filter on them that you know they, i think that's more of a testament to the creation of of those gods and and Me their too, yeah. their human you know nature it, and that those stories really work right now you know yeah. it's like they're perfect for right now because that's a it's kind of a dominant trend in fiction Mm-hmm. right now um so it makes a ton of sense um and i think you know i think it's it's pretty cool in some ways too you know like i remember thinking uh you know how zagreus always says there's like when the screen fades to black when you start a run but before it actually starts mm-hmm. he he'll say like again mm-hmm. or something like that it always sounds cool <laughs> and totally. i'm like i hear it yeah. and i'm like yeah that's cool 
they did <laughs> so there's some there's definitely cool stuff i don't i don't mean to say it's all schlocky it's totally not it's the it's very highly polished but yes. i think the the premise itself um it's a little too of its time i think that's where i just kind of net out on it yeah i think i think that's right or at least i agree maybe you're fucking wrong but I <laughs> i'm probably wrong but at least we agree <laughs> um i would did did you have i wanted to sort of shift gears on the story too uh and talk about the way that it's kind of parceled out because it's a roguelike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I gather that uh, sort of the starting point for the game design in terms of what the developers were saying is that death should not be the end, right? And so when it seems like a big complaint people have with roguelikes is it just feels bad to die in these games because you accomplish nothing and other roguelikes have tried to deal with this in different ways like letting you unlock new weapons and stuff like that and this game does that too but then it starts to parcel out a little bit of the story and it seems like this is really what is people are love about this game um they love to like wash back up in the river sticks and walk into the house of Hades and hear what all the characters have to say. For me, it wasn't like that. And it might have been because I, it took me like 25 hours to clear the game to beat one run. Yeah. And, uh, but for that 25 hours, pretty much what I got is like, I'd wash back up after dying. I'd come in and I'd see, uh, hypnos, you know, waiting there and he's like wow you got killed by the hydra this time wow that guy really sucks huh you know and he would say something like that almost every time yeah and then you roll it up to your dad and he's like hades and he's like scoffs at you you know and then you go over to achilles and he says some encouraging stuff and you pet the dog and that was pretty much it like there's There's some moments of exposition. There's one that I remember in particular where you go to sleep and you wake up and then you go through Hades' papers and you find out that, spoilers on this podcast, I should say we're spoiling the game, that Persephone is your real mom, not Nyx. And so then the quest becomes about trying to escape to meet your real mother. And that was it. And I remember the scene where they were making a big deal about like, get into the house of records or the records hall or whatever. And they're like encouraging you like, Oh, you should do this, you know? And you go in there and it's just like fucking record of your last run, like (laughs) how long it took. And I'm like, that's it. Like, I thought there was going to be like, you know, more stuff to unearth about the story. And there wasn't. And so I just, I don't see it for me. Um, No, I I have the same, you know, like going back to just because there's there's a couple things you hit here that I want to like recap on, but I, I had the same thing with the whole. Um, first of all, I think the way that they did tie in death in the loop in a roguelite is what made it so fun and approachable, right? Because you have it's it's not as punishing as a true roguelike, uh, which is how you get this roguelite uh, uh, moniker right. attached to it. But they did it in a way that it was. You know, it it also tied into the world in a really nice way. You know, mm-hmm. it, these gods and they have memories 
of what happened, even though you've killed them, you know, and all this kind of stuff is very cool, but it didn't, it, yeah, there's something about it that didn't capture a depth that I wanted from it. And I had the same thing where it was, you know, kind of Groundhog's Day, okay, I'm back, which, you know, again, partly by design, but then I found myself just kind of like rapidly tapping through the characters because yeah. I knew I needed to tap them all because I'm trying to advance the like dating sim thing, which also didn't really realize itself well. Because it's um, not a real dating. I've never it, played a dating sim, but like uh, what I get, I mean, because it's like you're just doing it to get the item at yeah. the end of the, the path, right? If you give a character enough of the like ambrosia or whatever, then they right. give you an item. That's it. Yeah. And and again, that goes, I think that's again where the, the uh, content, you know, pumping nature of it kind of like here here's some more stuff for you to do um that's where it could appeal but it just wasn't tightened it wasn't honed well enough that it actually felt meaningful or purposeful and i really i I noticed it at the same point and we had that dream and it kind of opens up so first of all you're aware that there's this these locked doors and okay so this there's something you know and and playing other roguelites it's like yeah there's gonna be other stuff to unlock um and then you have that dream and then it's like, oh, there's this whole other, you know, there's a depth of story here, right? There's like, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, again, it doesn't, it doesn't take that anywhere. Like it doesn't do it. It's, it's kind of, you're just on that path the whole time. And that's when you realize it. And it's this moment where it's like, oh, this is going to deliver something more. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And yeah. It just, that was really disappointing. It um, was. And even again, like yeah, uh, spoilers, right? You know, meeting Persephone and getting there, um, and then the way it just kind of like, oh, you can't hang out here, you're dead, you got to do it again, and it's just kind of like, wait, what? You know, it, it, it totally. It just didn't. It it just felt, yeah, it just felt cheap. It yes, yeah. it felt cheap. It's like, oh, by the way, you have to beat the game again, and it's clear. It, that you don't have to beat the game again. You have to beat it again and again and again and again. Right. It's, clearly, it's going to happen where you get up there and you get a little bit more dialogue out of it. And then it's he's like, oh, I can't survive on the surface long. Got to go back. <laughs> and right. I have to beat the game <laughs> again. So I battled through just, to ask you this one question, and I'll have another one for you the next time I do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I wonder if... You know, I think... I wonder if the lesson is... Don't I don't know if a roguelike is really the right vehicle for driving narrative. I just don't think it is in this game because it goes so hard at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly that's what a lot of the the marketing of the game is focusing on, and that's what a lot of the pieces in the press have been about it. Um, so someone made a valiant effort at doing that but i just don't think it lands at all i i would agree with that and but i would disagree with the that you know it's just not for roguelikes i actually i can see this being a game that is pivotal you know i was thinking a lot about this you know just preparing for uh, recording this tonight was like the difference between being the greatest game of all time and being a game that kind of paved the way for other games which is what we said with ocarina right yeah and and i think that it's you know 
maybe it's splitting hairs, but I actually don't think it is. I think they're two very separate things and, and one can be both, mm-hmm. but this, I think, I wonder, I actually think that Hades does offer great inspiration and like room for people to expand. It's like, you know, I, I think they did roguelite really well. And I think adding that story element was interesting and they did it in a good way, you know, with this hook of, of death and repeat and the Groundhog's Day effect. Um, mm. But because they were the first ones to do it, you know, they didn't tie in that exposition. I think you're right. Well. Yeah, I think you're, you know what, someone could do it really well in a way that I'm not foreseeing. Um, and uh, it it could be really cool. It, this game doesn't do it, but maybe it's the, the stepping stone that the genre needs it's certainly not a game where um i mean it's a such a mechanics driven genre right that Mm -hmm. it seems like developers kind of start from there and and work their way from there but uh someone could approach it from a different perspective and do something really cool and i think right there i think that's what you just said is what is exposed to the player in the game is that they approach like it's a mechanics driven genre and this team has you know great style uh you know they're they're inventive and they're willing to like try new things mm-hmm. um and so they said hey let's grab this let's let's try this roguelike thing and mechanically they nailed it right i mean like just mm-hmm. from the, the the action and the gameplay um but then when you try adding upon that that's where it kind of fell apart and that's again that is splitting hairs because they did so much so well but also all of the things that they did are kind of what was their downfall in a way, right? They kind of like hurt them. Um, so that's where I do see it as like this game, uh, it, it has a huge potential to be influential. I think it will be very influential going forward, but it just didn't, it didn't do all the things that it wanted to. Mm-hmm. Did you want to also talk about, I know you wanted to talk about the music, but did you want to go somewhere else first? No. Yeah. I, I can like the music. So, it's interesting. I, I I spend a lot of time on music. You know, the only thing I do more than video games is listen to music. Um, but I found myself really enjoying the music here and and just really like appreciating. Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. What the composer? Uh, Aaron Corb. Yes, Corb uh, brought to this. Thanks. Um, and even like recently, I was just I, I don't I also don't often listen to video game music in, as I'm like working or something. But I put this on just to listen to it and kind That's of interesting. digest it some more. And it's not it really for me, it's not something that I'll continue to listen to. Um, I just wanted to really try to figure out what about it was drawing me in because mm. I haven't had that in a lot of games uh recently you know I can appreciate them but this was just like wow this it just it's styled so well to the to the feel of the game and the look of the game um i i i almost want to say i don't like the music interesting i like i like some of the music mm-hmm. it sort of commits the for me the cardinal sin of <laughs> sub game music which is like if there's a scene set in hell the music is like kind of like gross sounding metal like i listen to a mm-hmm. ton of metal i'm kind of a metal head um and 
so that when it, it and I we were talking over text and I was like, you know, when I'm in hell, I want to hear like the screams of people being tortured yeah. and shit like that, which I maybe that's just me being a weirdo. But um, <laughs> it, it wouldn't to do that wouldn't fit with the aesthetic of the game right. and it would right. be totally inappropriate for sure. Um, but it it's sort of, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, so this is like how they're conceiving hell. I like the music in Tartarus mm-hmm. from what I remember of it. Um and yeah, I think it's. I guess what I like more is that they have an in-house composer at all, and that they care that much about it. And there is something that happens in uh, Asphodel. I think that's the hell level, where or it's like the the lava, like fiery, uh, typical conception of hell level, and uh, that you will clear a level and like the heavy distorted guitars will fade out and then it will just be like the bass like mm-hmm. playing the keep like still going as if the rest of the song had not stopped very cool and i feel like that's almost the sort of virtuoso like touch that you get when you have an in-house composer and they're that connected to what yes. the other developers are doing you know yeah I think, and I think that's some. I think what you're touching on there is something that. I think there's something here that I did appreciate, but the music more was that there's some sort of interconnectedness that there is. that was that was really on display, um, and like so here, you know, you're talking about they have their own engine, and then uh, uh, you know they've they've home rolled, and then you have this composer in house doing his things, and when you have them that close together and they can work together, you get things like. Um, you go into Eurydice, Eurydice's chamber. Mm-hmm. Am I saying her name right? Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah. Singing. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and the music is playing, and she's singing. Mm-hmm. And then when you speak to her, the music keeps playing, but her voice track is lifted out of it, and she's <laughs> talking because she's talking now. Yeah. But it happens. It doesn't. It happens so seamlessly and so subtly yeah. that it's as if she is singing and then you're interrupting her, but you're having a conversation. And then as soon as you stop talking, she's right back on the track. Uh, again, not in a way that it doesn't feel like they're cutting a voice track on and off. It feels like she's resuming her song. It does. It's like it's that um, it doesn't feel like fake or something like no, it would yeah, be. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think, you know, uh, there is there's some magic that's being teased out there of having when you, when you have someone with a clear understanding of music like Corb does and then you have you know on the technical side people uh, manipulating their sound engine mm-hmm. you know it, I'm sure there was someone in there you know that was just came out in discussion like hey what if we did this right and you can just do that when you control everything and and it worked really well and I think there is a spark there with this team they have a lot of those little moments and so explain um, to me just as a side note because you are a developer and i'm just some fucking jerk off so explain (laughs) to me what does it mean to like because apparent from what i read on reddit and this could be totally wrong but they like they developed their own engine like in C like right away sort of and even for their first game they did that like what does it mean when you're first forming a team to not uh be like okay we're just going to use unity just like to get the ball rolling to 
to develop your own engine, which I guess in a lot of ways influences like your workflow and mm-hmm. and how your project management and that kind of thing. Like, why would you do that? And what is not to put you on the spot, but what does yeah, it sure. mean to do that? I mean, uh, sure. Be edit friendly. If I just totally sound like a fucking moron here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, that, so, so like it makes me think a couple things, right? So if you have, so there's one thing in, you know, programmers are, are used to dealing with this, this concept of like, uh, you know, you roll your own or, you know, um, uh, I'm, of course I'm going to blank on the phrase, but basically like if I didn't write the code, then it's garbage code. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of like, a this, the, the ego part of it that's annoying to deal uh-huh. with. Um, but if you have competent people, it actually does make sense to do it all yourself because at that point you have, you have an understanding of everything that's working, right? And you know how, again, how to optimize and manipulate and, and really advance things. Um, you have full control over everything. Okay. Uh, and it's, you know, it, the, Unity and all of these, you know, these, the accessibility of, of game engines now to people is great because anyone can drop in and just start making a game. And that serves really well for a lot of games. Like that's all that's really needed. Um, starting from scratch at the beginning, like it, it definitely shows technical competence in hindsight because they're they they were able to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a it's a choice of control. It's like, you know, we we will be responsible, but then ultimately empowered uh, in all ways. Um, and when you get it right. You know, I mean, I remember I used to read just a ton about Bungie in the early days, you know, mm-hmm. early, like when Halo was, uh, what the fuck was it called? Uh, Marathon um, before it came out, you know, that was the, the precursor. Um, and then even after Halo, like reading these blogs and just talking about the way that they're able to crunch the, the, the technology at the time, the limitations of technology and what they can produce in doing that. Um, I mean, you saw this in Donkey Kong Country on the Super Nintendo, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 fact that they squeezed that game out of a Super Nintendo is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a flex, you know, of of technical prowess. And I think that's mm-hmm. what this team is doing here um, with these little these little touches that you get to see with you know the music or the graphical style or or mm-hmm. just the gameplay. Um, Pretty cool. Um, I was I wanted to also talk about how it seems like a lot of the scuttlebutt around the game, like I've been looking on Twitter and just seeing how people are talking about the game, and especially journalists are saying like, oh, this is what I'm hearing about why people like the game so much, mm-hmm. and it has to do with how it's a friendlier roguelike than people are used to from the genre, and I mean, I think even like you and I tried to co-op Gungeon a few mm-hmm. times and we never we didn't even make it past the first floor and because well, uh, i'm garbage i'm garbage at bullet hell games but well i'm i am too and i mean like it took me probably 50 hours to clear one run of gungeon mm-hmm. um it's a much harder game than hades i think um so it's it's sort of identified as a friendlier roguelike i think um Part, you know, for some of the reasons we've talked about, which is like death isn't the end, so you're always unlocking something, you're always 
it's parceling out new story elements for you. But I think it's worth pointing out that roguelikes already seem to be an attempt to present the hardcore action game of yore. Like I'm thinking about like, you know, Contra Hardcore on the Genesis is sort of always held up as being a, an extremely hard game. A game I'm playing right now on the Genesis called Lightning Force Quest for the Dark Star, okay. <laughs> which is like the it, dumbest. Yeah. It's a shooter um, that was originally came out in arcades, but um, it came out on the Genesis too. Uh, and those old games, they were presented to the player like a monolith, right? It's just this giant thing in front of you and uh it's it's you know you start to climb and you just die and you you try again and you die and they're a monolith of like obsidian glass or something (laughs) like that because you can't break through them and they're perfectly smooth there's no way to climb and but then you keep dying and you're like oh you know what there is a handhold here or there is a foothold here, um, and and you keep climbing, and you keep dying, and you find more footholds and more handholds, and eventually you make it to the top, right? And I think roguelikes, the modern roguelikes, as much as they are descended from rogue, I think because they're action games at heart, they're not turn-based like rogue and NetHack and those games, the, the action portion comes from those old, hardcore action games from like the NES and 16-bit era. And roguelikes seem to be an attempt to take that formula of game and present it in a friendlier way, right? So one way is like the variety. It's more fun to react to new stuff than it is to just do rote memorization of like level layouts and enemy patterns and stuff like that. The runs through the game tend to be shorter so if you're an expert player, like some of the runs I've watched on YouTube of Contra Hardcore, you can beat the game in an hour. But most players, it's going to take a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. So the, and the runs in roguelikes tend to be like 45 minutes, an hour at the absolute high end. Yeah. And then the roguelite subgenre, like we've talked about, gives you these persistent upgrades, mm-hmm. um, which is usually health, like in Rogue Legacy... Um, which is one of the first roguelites. You unlock more health um, run to run. Hades does all of that and more, right? So it gives you the persistent health upgrades. You can unlock persistent damage upgrades, better chances of finding good upgrades, um, like, you know, the boons in the game, which are the the items, basically. You can get higher chances of finding the good ones. Um, All of the the sort of lore aspect of the game, which is really critical to the roguelike genre is just not really there because the game is explicit about what all of the pickups you get do, right? It's like, this increases your attack by 23% or something like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It lends itself to a, to a min max kind of approach, right? Where you can really, you can work with it. Yes. Yes, you can. And there's, there's never a bad option, right? It's like three good options. And I guess you could say like, oh, well, you have to choose, you have to learn about the game to choose the best one. Mm-hmm. But the strategic layer that's in something like a Slay the Spire where 
in many cases, you're actually served by not taking any card that you get because it you get too many cards in your deck and you get further away from like the five or six cards that form the core of your strategy of attacking enemies. If you take too many cards, it increases the length of time that it takes to get to those cards and it makes your deck worse. So there's sort of not that strategic layer either. And I guess the ultimate result of all that for me is the difficulty curve is obscured in that in, I think in typically for games of this genre, the, the difficulty curve is, the, the ramp is it's it's a straight up ramp, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Versus and, this where they've curved it very gradually. And yeah. and the the level that's the skill that's required to beat the game is it do, it doesn't change, right? Mm-hmm. But in Hades that's sort of obscured because it's giving you all these persistent upgrades run to run and you're obviously getting better at the game, but then once you clear the game it's like, well did I clear the game because I got good or did I clear the game because I just happened to unlock enough of the upgrades? Yeah, you know? I'm I'm pretty sure my first time clearing it was because I had a crazy good build. Me like, too. No question. You know, I'm just like that's that's why I beat it. Um and I because I had unlocked to getting there. Yeah. I I think I had a good build and I unlocked enough stuff mm-hmm. enough health upgrades and all that that finally I did win, but it's I, I think when the core of the genre is an it's a hardcore action game, I think it does a disservice to the game to obscure the difficulty uh, sort of player skill difficulty relationship in the way that the game does because I think it makes it less satisfying. For me, I mean I, I have a lot of hours in this genre, probably close to a thousand. And uh, so I've become pretty familiar with sort of its conventions. And that's something that jumped out to me right away is like, oh, man, I'm unlocking so much stuff that makes me better. Um, so did I make it further that last time because I got better? Or did I make it further that time because I got another unlock of the death defiance skill, right, which is where you can come back to life when you die. And then you can unlock the ability to do that one time and then two times and then three times. So I really didn't like that about this game. Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting because it definitely does obscure your skill level, right? In a, in a way that you really don't know. And you I, don't and know. I've talked to multiple people about this. And it's like, I don't know if I'm getting better or if I just got a good build, right? I don't know, you know, if I got lucky, like you, you can't tell, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because it, be, it just becomes so forgiving. And it, it does kind of make up for that once you, you know, you, you, you clear it and you get the um, pact, you can get the, whatever the bounties um, and you can add, I think it's, they're called packs, right? The, where you can increase Make the game the harder. Yeah. 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 Um, which is something that I, well, I didn't really, do a ton of i appreciate for the people who are gonna go and use that like that was a cool like oh you think you're good at this like here and and what that allows you to do is kind of peel off that obscurity and really just like reveal okay here you know you think you're good at this here try it out like Mm -hmm. add add more enemies or you know make it more punishing Mm -hmm. um and so maybe it's you know maybe i didn't play far enough 
over that bell curve of ease to go back into the the really hardcore punishing uh, nature of that of of you know what roguelikes can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, it was also because because of all of the things that you just mentioned, it it kind of lost its luster, and I was like, eh, you know, it, it, it totally. I, I love. I love punishingly difficult games, you know. Um, and you're Gate. you're a very yeah. accomplished FPS player too, right? You you play a lot of online shooters. Yeah, I and, love those uh, too. Yeah. And so it's that I feel like this kind of game should be your jam, you know? Yeah, but and, it, and it, when it when it was, it was right. Mm-hmm. I could not stop thinking about this game. One more run. High intensity, you get that adrenaline, you know, all of those things that I, mm-hmm. I look for in that type of game, it delivered on until it didn't anymore. And then I beat just, the game and I was just done. Yeah. The the, yeah. the completion cliff was just drastic where I was, it was. Just like I was over it. And I, it wasn't it wasn't because I couldn't see what more the game had to offer, it's because I didn't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can ratchet up difficulty and I can play with these things. And there are people who have and will love that about the game and i think that's that, that will serve them well but um it yeah i think there's... it in part has to do with the um the how the fact that because the way that the upgrade system is handled and because it's all explicit there's not there's not that much to learn about the systems of the game and and that is kind of a hallmark of the genre um like in the original Rogue, which I haven't played, but what I, from what I gather is, it's like so much of that revolves around learning the the lore of the game, and that's part of the the hook. And I love that that a game is like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna put this like really uh, obtuse, like esoteric system in front of you, and if you want to get good at the game, you have to learn this, and if you don't want to, that's fine with me. Don't play it, you know. Um, Isaac is like that. There are so many items that do weird stuff and there are some items that, um, are bad unless you take them with another item and then they become very good. Um, there are, and uh, later in later versions in the game, they made it more explicit. They showed like your stats on the side of the screen, but especially when I started playing the game early on, it wasn't like that and there's just so much to learn about the game and uh it there's something about there's something about going up to an item and it's a random item you don't know what it's going to be and then you pick it up and you also don't know what it does (laughs) (laughs) and uh and there's still so many items in the game that even experienced players are like i don't remember what this does and it's just different in hades it's like yeah here's what it does it's very transparent. Yeah. yeah. Like all the way from, yeah, all the way through. Um, I actually didn't notice that about it until you're like, but now that you're calling it out, it's it's very true. And I think that might be part of, I think that's a big part of why, you know, there's that completion cliff of, that I just fell off of where it was like, nothing, nothing is a secret. You know, everything is revealed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sure, I could go back through and, and make different builds. And that was kind of interesting. But there's no mystery. There's no mystique. There's no mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, yeah, in, enticing <laughs> maybe, sub-layer there. Yeah. And when you said all is revealed 
it made me think what's really revealed is the con of like, oh, guess what? You got to beat the game again and again <laughs> yeah. to see yeah. more of the story. It's, I really didn't like that about the game, but um, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I do want to I do want to give props though for one thing I really appreciate about this, and I have this game has gotten more exposure to more, you know, to a broader set of gamers, and it's because it's diverging from like heavily off it of a, a true roguelike. Um, but I think that I think that's okay. You know, I think it's like it, you can't call it a roguelike, but I appreciate what they did. Where they had, you know, they have the packs, and they have um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, hell mode or Hades? I don't know what they call that. But then they also had God mode. Yeah. Where it would get easier as you played, yeah, or as you died, right? And in doing that, it opens it up to. It's kind of like we were talking in the the last episode. Like, how how available are you? to everyone right mm-hmm. versus just your core gamers or your core uh genre visitors mm-hmm. um and i think to their credit they opened up really well to people here and that's why it's getting the broad success yeah. or that's part of mm-hmm. why it's getting the broad success it is and so i well I, I i it's like i agree with both points like i agree with what you're saying in terms of how transparent and how like untrue it was kind of made it less satisfying but it gave it that breadth of reach mm-hmm. and and i i, I want yeah. people to come into this genre and there's a okay. there's a reason why game designers in particular seem to love this style of game um because it it's such a beautiful design space mm-hmm. it seems like and so if if we can also bring in more players into the, the genre of course it's good right i just think it it ends up being a when you try to make something that is for more and more people the product has to be less pure and it has to be less focused yeah, totally and uh i think that and that's what i wanted to kind of sum up on i guess because i feel like the core of the game is it's sublime the action is mm-hmm. wonderful it looks wonderful it's the action is so so fast it's the sense of controlled chaos that's really outstanding and that's the core of the game and then they've just packed so much fluff around it right Mm -hmm. to to try to get it to appeal to a lot of other people and i i think you could do a mean-spirited reading of it and part i'm sort of halfway between doing this and not doing it but (laughs) It's like, I, I do think uh, there's probably close to 10 in-game currencies that just all unlock different stuff, mm-hmm. right? If you th- if you think about the Ambrosia, and there's like this, the Super Ambrosia. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, One the, is like... Yep, it's like the giant bottle. Yeah, I can't remember either, but... Yeah, there's uh, the Diamonds, the, yeah, the Titan's Titan blood. blood, the Darkness, the Keys, the Gemstones... Uh, and there's probably some other ones that I'm not thinking of, but it, I think that those are there to encourage you to come back and play the game again and again to, to unlock more stuff. And I mean that and the fluff around like redecorating the mm-hmm. palace and, you know, many other things in the game you can point to. They just, it's, 
unnecessary and i think if you're reading it uncharitably it's it's to draw people back again and again to extend their relationship with the game longer than the core product warrants and i want a game to be pure and i want a game to have the confidence to let me walk away you know yeah i put yeah, just, yeah. i put 25 hours into the game that's a lot of time and just just be satisfied with that and be like, wow, I, I captivated this player and now I'm going to let them move on. And I was able to because, you know, the end game stuff, as we talked about, doesn't seem to appeal very much to either of us. But there's a lot of players that that won't be the case. And this will be their main game for a year or two years. Um, so I want the game to have that confidence. And I hate to say it, but I think that it's also aimed at because you can get you could get 200 hours of playtime out of this easy mm-hmm. 250 hours and i i think it's it's unfortunate that it's the case that a reality of the industry now is that a lot of people assess games almost purely on hours of playtime per dollar spent yeah you know yeah there's a weird there's a weird thing happening across the board with like free to play Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have people arguing against uh, the content that's put in free-to-play games that you have to pay for, and then you have this thing where it's like, well, I paid $60, and it was only a 10-hour game. Yes. Uh, and it's like, but you're not talking about the experience at all. Like, what did what did you get out of that, right? And, um, yeah, I, I do see that being to games' detriments. You know, and this is a good example of that, I think, where it's like, we're just going to pack so much shit in to keep you hooked um, or, or to allow you to stay hooked um, and to grind towards something um, when really that's not necessary. Like if you give me a 10 hour game that has some hook to it, I will, I will play that 10 hour game 10 times over. I'll spend a hundred hours replaying it. Like I don't need a new shiny thing to unlock. I'll, I'll find that for myself, you know, or I'll get the enjoyment out of it. And I, I think, yeah, like what you're saying, just having the confidence to just deliver me a core experience. Bleep, bleep, bloop, bloop. Uh, technical difficulty. Oh shit. I didn't hit record. It's all good. I got you. Oh, thank you. Okay. So yeah, I feel like there's a tyranny of steam reviews and it's fueled by these people who feel like they're at war with publishers and developers in EA sports and stuff. <laughs> and uh, they, and I hate to, I, I do feel like the extra stuff packed into the game is in a lot of ways a response to that just being the reality of the game industry these days. I mean, Steam reviews are, are huge and you can make an outstanding game and get downvoted because of bullshit reasons. And uh, I remember how much, uh, strife there was when Gone Home came out. Did you play Gone Home? No. It's just a walking simulator, and it was I think it was one of the first ones that sort of got attention. And uh, it's one of the best games I've ever played. And it's, I think it, it's 20 bucks, you know, but the game is like three hours long or four wow, hours okay. long at most. And uh, it got a lot of it, people got very angry about that. And you know, if you're that person who, if you're listening to this podcast and you're that person, you just need to own it. And 
don't be that way because if everyone is that way about games then and every every developer tries to pack in as much stuff as they can to you know keep players playing for absolutely as long as possible then we don't get games like gone home we don't get a short hike we don't get firewatch we don't get celeste um and journey right journey yeah and and many other wonderful video games and also if you're this type of person there's something you can do let me just give you the keys to the kingdom on this if you're this type of person there's something you can do uh and you possess all the tools to do this thing on your body most people do on their body right now and it's free to do this thing and most people (laughs) really like doing it and all you have to do is go into a room and lock the door and you can do it any time of day you can do it over and over and you probably shouldn't do it at work but uh yeah it's you can go back to it again and again it's great and a lot of people really like doing this and if you are if you are not sure what i'm talking about you can email the show and we can walk you through it (laughs) offline but uh don't be that type of person because good games go away if you're that type of person and unfortunately um Hades, I'm not saying that the developers are trying to court that type of person, but I do think that the game and the extra stuff that's packed in ends up being a response to kind of the reality of the economics of games today and how you have to... There's there's a real fear about putting out a walking simulator or something and having, you know, losers basically uh, trash it on Steam and then it you know, it gets pushed off the top page and no one ever sees it or finds out about it. I think that's uh, a huge problem. And I just want a game to be pure and to make a stand against that and just be like, yeah, here's my pure experience. This is what I got. If you like it, it's here for you. If you don't like it, that's fine. You can move on. Um, And I think the best games do that. Yeah, I so it's, you know dramatic pause. I part of me is like I have been I have been that person before. Um, I was that person with Pokemon Snap, where I was just <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I was so excited for it, so excited. I bought I went and bought it day one, paid sixty dollars for it, beat it in like an hour. I think it was like actually two hours, uh-huh. and then I was fucking pissed right it was sixty dollars it was sixty dollars it was sixty dollars and i you know i was high school and you know that was also like 400 years ago so sixty dollars is really like a million dollars today and <laughs> it just adjusted for inflation yeah and you know it might just be a, it comes with time kind of thing where you're just able to appreciate and maybe not maybe maybe you know that this is my privilege talking but like being able to separate the cost of something from the experience right uh-huh. like there's the whole sunk cost fallacy like all this stuff where it's like did you enjoy it or not so i can i can empathize with that to in some but regard you were but, also 14 when you played pokemon snap right yeah but, yeah, but so are like all of the people posting all these reviews on and maybe the problem is, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the problem is like, you know, we just have to uh, give a handicap to game all games based on the fact that 14 year olds are using the Internet right now. And 14 year olds aren't in a financial position to be able to just pivot 
from one game to another. Like, right. Like, I, I think that's part of I think that's part of the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like you know, there's a whole whatever meme you constantly see of you know the 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 old gamer with the wall of games that are all sealed. Like, look at this <laughs> library of games that I yeah. haven't even played. You know, yeah. what, a, what a great problem to have. Oh, I know uh, that meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's 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 constantly being redrawn, and so I think there's probably a, a truth to that part of it. Um, and I get it too. I mean, like, I, you know, I I played The Binding of Isaac for 600 hours or so for like two years probably and because uh, i just didn't have any other games and i wasn't really in a position to buy any other games like it was it was a situation where if i spent like 30 bucks on a new game then i wouldn't have been able to and I didn't like it, I wouldn't have been able to buy a new game for a while, and I would just be like, well, I don't like this game. So I understand that, yeah. but yeah. Um, that that can't be our only rubric for games, and for a lot of people, it unfortunately seems to be. So I just, For sure. Yeah, no, and, and I think it does put the, like you're saying, it does put a pressure, even just some sort of implicit, you know, subconscious pressure to be like, I mean, we really gotta put some stuff in here to keep people going, you know, like, uh, let's let's add. You know, you can change the drapes. You can change the color of the drapes, or you can. Uh, the drape. uh, like I don't know why that. Fuck I'm so drapes. fucking. <laughs> I'm so fucking hung up on that. Like, I know. There's like six colors. It's like fuck off. Um, yeah. yeah. Um. But you know, it, it just goes back to, just just give people a super solid experience, mm. and and they will generate hundreds of hours on your six hour game. You know, like that's that's all it takes, and and it's sort of what this game does because really, you know, it is a one-hour game. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you kind of understand what's happening, um, and so just let the joy of the rep, like if if you're gonna be someone who's gonna fall into this and and play it over and over, it's not because you can change. They're not grinding to change the drapes, right? They they make their own uh, quest of like. I'm going to unlock every combination of build or I'm going to do, you know, you, you make up your own achievements and that's, that's what keeps those re- replayability and, and I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole um, website for the game Spelunky where I, I gather that people made up their own like ways of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Right, because people want to keep playing the game because the core gameplay loop is is that good. Yeah, um, and it's like, oh, you know, if you start the game with a jetpack or something, then you know this is a jetpack run, and you should play it this way, and you can get these achievements with the jetpack, and and so on. So people like the community and just individual players, like you said, will do that for you, and people would have with Hades, and. Mm-hmm. And now people are gonna spend time unlocking the drapes, like you said, or doing like unlocking every, getting enough of the darkness commodity in the game to unlock the mirror of night, like in yeah. every aspect. And yeah, it's just just let me walk away if I want to, and yeah. be confident that the experience you provided was good enough. And uh, you know that's what Journey does. That's what. Celeste does. That's what a short hike does. 
It's what Gone Home does. And there could name many other games. Those are the ones that just occurred to me. But that's confident game design. You know, that's um, that's focused game design. And that's ultimately what I want as a player. Um, and so well, I guess what, that's where that yeah. game fell short for me. Totally. And that, that, that element is where I think that is, again, another element that separates out like a, a game of all time, right, is, is having that confidence and that ability to just be what it is. Um, and that's just where this doesn't it's another mark against this where it's like it's a game for today. But yeah, it's not. It is. Yeah, it's not forever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does it. That sounds about right. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please consider rating or leaving us a review. And uh, we'll hopefully be back with another episode in about a month or so. Thanks a lot. Thanks.